would like to read with you this morning the very well-known, famous passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the famous section about times and seasons. We'll be reading chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. If you have a Bible, you can open to it, or it should appear on the wall or on the screen in just a second. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, reading from the uh, English Standard Version. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. This weekend we are all remembering where we were on September 11, 2001. Well, I remember it very clearly. I was on the work floor of an office of the Welfare Department in the city of Amsterdam. I was part of a team made up of about 25 people from all over the world. It was the end of the day, it was about 4 o'clock, and somebody came in and kind of breathlessly announced that something terrible was happening in New York. We didn't have TV on our, in, a, in, a, in a work floor or in an office, but there we were all together just trying to pick up news of what was happening. In that team was P- Peter the Dutchman, outspoken atheist and hedonist. There was Abdel from Jordan. There was Hetty, the red-haired Amsterdam chain-smoking women's lib activist. There was Katrina, who was a refugee from Bosnia-Herzegovina. There was Hadam, who had grown up in one of the most conservative religious communities in the Netherlands, think of the Amish, and now identified himself both as homosexual and Muslim. There was Raisa from Suriname, a constant reminder of the colonial past. There was Najet, a 23-year-old Moroccan Muslim, who for a time shared my table. And when I balked at drinking coffee during the month of Ramadan, which is the month of feasting, she insisted that I go about my normal eating and drinking habits even when she took no water or food for the whole day. The month of Ramadan, I learned, was a very deeply spiritual time for her. There was Birsen, the Turkish married mother of two, 
doing her best to assimilate into the Dutch culture and become what she actually really wasn't. There were Betty and Cora, solid Dutch, hard workers, down-to-earth, practical. And Annelies Kleinbeernink, also through and through Dutch, but a bit of the upper class, highly educated and cultured. Her husband was a journalist, and she had been together with him at receptions and dinners with Beatrice, the Queen of the Netherlands, the Prime Minister, and other highly placed officials and politicians. Fate threw us together in those days and on that afternoon. And you can imagine what it was like for me as the lone American in that group. There was shock, there was outrage, there was tension. How are we going to sort this out amongst ourselves with all of our differences? There was, I was glad, to experience great sympathy for me as an American who at that particular time represented the victim of this awful act of of terrorism. And you can imagine our solidarity as a team being put to the test as later first Afghanistan and then Iraq were invaded. And then when three years later, Theo van Gogh, a prominent Dutch columnist and filmmaker was knifed to death in broad daylight at 10.30 in the morning by a Dutch Moroccan Muslim on a street in Amsterdam on which Cindy and I regularly traveled with our bikes to get through the city. We were all caught up in times and seasons. We had no choice. We were where we had been placed and events in the world and in our beloved city just happened and we had to deal with them and we had to deal with them together. There was no way that I could request to not sit next to Nijet anymore at my table. Which time was it, we asked ourselves, not explicitly, but implicitly? Is this a time to heal? Is this a time to tear down? Is this a time to weep? Is this a time to laugh? Is this a time to mourn? Is this a time to dance? Is this a time to be silent, to speak, to love, to hate? to war, to peace. So here we are in the fall of 2021, and the words of Ezekiel, the words of the preacher, of Ecclesiastes, the words of the preacher, the words of Kohelet, seem more appropriate than ever. As I've said many times over the last year and a half, We are facing a set of crises in our world and in our country, in our communities, and in our personal lives, the likes of which none of us has faced before. This morning, we are, at least I am, deeply disappointed to not have all of us together. Grateful for you that are here, but deeply disappointed that we're just not at the place where we feel free to be here, maskless, and go on with our lives. Right now, we are losing more people in our country to COVID, in our country to COVID this week than, than a year ago. 
The weakness of the social safety net of the United States has been exposed. Serious political division continues, and we're seeing increased levels of violence, particularly of groups of people toward groups of people. The failure of nation-building and serious miscalculations by our political and military leaders on the world stage have been graphically demonstrated during the last weeks in Afghanistan and not just during the last weeks, over the last decades. And as we remember 9-11, now 20 years ago, we recognize the events of that day as events that ushered in new dangers, breakdowns, conflicts, and violence. This week I heard someone call 9-11 the first event of the 21st century. The late 20th century brought hope that at the end of the Cold War, this new century might be a century of peace and prosperity. And that hope collapsed with the Twin Towers. And just to ratchet it up a little bit, Dr. Jem Bendel, professor of sustainability leadership at the University of Cumbria, who's an expert in climate change, takes his role as an expert in climate change very seriously. He wants us to know that climate change is real and that we're already much deeper into it than you might think. In reality, he says, the evidence suggests that climate change may have reached the point of no return, and then he really lays it on thick. Societal collapse, he says, is inevitable. Catastrophe is probable, and extinction is possible. I'm not sure I exactly agree with that, and I'm not sure if you do, and I'm not suggesting that you do, but I'm just laying it out where some people's thinking is going. And then, of course, there are our personal lives behind our front doors in which we've been isolated for the last 18 months. There are the tensions. There are the pains. There are the hurts. There are the disappointments. There are the sins, there are the addictions, there are the weaknesses, the failures, the relationship breakdowns of our personal lives. And it's likely that some of those have become more readily apparent during this time than they have ever been before. And I don't want to be just negative. I know that there have been great joys I know that there's been a, a renewed depth in relationships. I, knew that, I know that God has blessed many of us, if not all of us, in all kinds of ways. But we find ourselves in a time and in a season like we've never been before. And this passage in Ecclesiastes, in fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, interestingly enough, offers us no solutions. There's no nicely wrapped, wrapped up package to explain the times. This is what it all means. 
There's no judgment about whether a particular time is good or bad. There are no value judgments. There's no sweeping statements of eventual victory or hand-wringing about eventual loss. It pours no, and this is the way the Dutch say it so well, no from sausje, no spiritual syrup over our situation. It doesn't look at our situation and then immediately say, we know that in all things God works for good. It, it leaves that out. It's just cold and raw and bare and real. It just says very simply, there are times. And there are times. And there are seasons. And there are different times and there are different seasons. There are good times. There are bad times. There are joyful seasons. There are less joyful seasons. There are seasons of great peace and seasons of great conflict. There are seasons of birth and seasons of death. And that's just the way it is, says Ecclesiastes. And in the end, we all die. Take just a moment, I'm going to run through them again, and listen to these descriptions of our times. If you, if you have a phone, you might want to open it up to notes, or if you have a pen and, uh, pen and paper or pencil and paper, because I'd like you to think, which of these apply to me? Or maybe us? Which of these times, which of these seasons, for me right now, is what I'm in? Is it a time to be born? Or is it a time to die? Is it a time to plant? Or is it a time to uproot? Is it a time to tear down? Or is it a time to build are you in a season of weeping or are in you are you in a season of laughing are you mourning or are you dancing are you scattering your stones or are you gathering them are you embracing? Or are you refraining from embrace? Are you searching? Or are you giving up the search? Are you keeping? Or are you throwing away? Are you tearing? Or are you mending and putting together? Are you being silent? Or are you speaking? Is it a time of love for you? Or a time of hate? Is it a time of war 
or a time of peace. There's no fixing here. There's no ten steps to. There's no effort to change anything. It's just to say, this is the way it is. For the last couple of years, I've been just, for the last couple of years, I've been meeting semi-regularly with a spiritual director, it's kind of like a coach, but not exactly. And I invite her to speak into my life as she hears me tell my story. Then she can kind of say what she wants to say and say, "What about this? Or what about that? Or have you thought about this?" And for the last couple of years, I've been doing it quite irregularly, uh, regularly, but not like every month or every week. It's just been kind of whenever I feel the need to, I send her email and we set something up. Starting about three months ago, I said to her, I need to do it every month, <laughs> period. I need to have a date every month we're meeting. And every time I tell her a story, whatever story it is or stories, Her main question to me is, okay, this is the situation. This is your life. Where is Jesus in this? That's really her only question. I probably don't even need to meet with her anymore because I know that's what she's going to ask. But you know how it is. (laughs) It's good to be pushed into it. And she asks it in all kinds of different ways. But that's the bottom line. Where is Jesus? Where are you seeing him? Where are you experiencing him? Where is he showing up? She's not in any way giving me any suggestions about how to fix things. She's just simply saying, Where? is Jesus. Have I not commanded you, says God to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go in whichever time and whichever season you find yourself. And you know Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us in all of our times and in all of our seasons. And that's his promise. That's what he has given us whether anything gets fixed or not. 
That, to me, is such a freeing truth. It doesn't mean that I never try to fix things. It doesn't mean that I never try to work on a relationship or take better care of my finances or put a mask on again so that I don't get breakthrough COVID. It doesn't mean I don't do anything. It doesn't mean I don't try my best to do what God's given me to do. But my primary thing is not fixing things. Not fighting my way through. And not going deep into despair when I can't fix things. When we can't have the opening weekend that we wanted. But it's in meeting Jesus. In the good times. And in the bad times. A pastor blogger that every day sends a, some kind of a prayer or something across my email and that of Cindy is Steve Garnas Holmes. I've quoted from him before. And this came across our screens sometime in the last week or so. Should show up on your screen. When you feel despair, the dread that all is lost, when there is no hope, when you fear the struggle will overwhelm you, you may feel God is absent or uncaring. But take heart. Even your despair is God in you. Despair is just the dark side of hope, believing in something greater than what you can see. This can only come from God, from the beloved within you yearning for life. Even if all you have is the yearning, all you have is God, who will not give up on the yearning, who will not give up on you. Just leave this on the screen if you would please. Even if all you have is the yearning, that's from God. And what my spiritual director always encourages me to do is look through all the haze and all the confusion and all the piles of information and all the piles of bad news and to somehow see Christ in there, to see God in there. Even the despair, even the yearning is God. And then I don't have to fix everything. I'm not burdened by fixing. I'm walking through these times and seasons with Jesus at my side. And then my spiritual director gave me a welcoming prayer. It's from the Catholic um, uh, priest and bishop, uh, um, Thomas Keating. And I want to conclude by reading this for you. If, if you can take a screenshot, feel free to go ahead. If you'd like the actual text, just let me know, and I'll either text it to you or email to it. But let, let's close with just this welcome, welcoming prayer. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. 
I welcome all my thoughts, all my feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. And because the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us and lived with us and lives with us through His Spirit, we can welcome every circumstance, every time, and every season. Because we know, as we read earlier in this service, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.